Romans 14, please. We're going to be looking today at verses 13 to 23. Before I read the text this morning, the specific events that are taking place right now in Israel are actually mentioned by location in Zephaniah chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. The Gaza Strip and the territory along the Mediterranean that is in the news right now is mentioned in those verses. After we have completed Nahum, we're going to go through the book of Zephaniah. Now, I think the things that are happening in Israel right now are setting the stage for the surfacing of a political leader who will appear to be a champion for Israel. I think the stage is being set for that right now. And before he surfaces, the church is going to be raptured. I'm fully convinced of that. I think that's very provable. So we think that the rapture of the church is the next thing on the docket that God has in store, and it's nearing at a rapid speed. So the question is, what are we going to do in this church in view of the prophetic clock that is ticking? What are we going to do? We're going to do exactly what the Apostle Paul did when he realized that he would soon meet the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, bring me the books, bring me the parchments. And he said to Timothy, I charge you, preach the word. That's what we're going to give ourselves to doing as we wait for the rapture of the church. We're going to give ourselves to carefully, systematically studying every book that's in the Word of God until we see Jesus Christ. That's what Paul did. That's what he admonished the church to do. That's what we are going to do. So with that as background, I'd like you to turn to Romans 14. We're continuing on in a section in which the Apostle Paul is admonishing the church don't get caught up about judging each other over ridiculous gray areas in view of the fact that we'll all face the bema seat judgment of jesus christ he says in verse 13 therefore let us not judge one another anymore but rather determine this not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way i know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love, do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the scriptures and the exposition later. Will you join with me please in prayer? Our Father, we bow before thee today to thank you that you are the sovereign God over everything. We thank you for Jesus Christ, your precious Son who died for us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that you sent to seal us and indwell us. 
We ask that you would continue to grant us wisdom that we may grow in grace and knowledge until we have the wonderful privilege of seeing our Savior face to face. And we thank you so much that we have the privilege of living here in the United States. We thank you that we've been a friend and ally of Israel for many, many years. We're grateful, Lord, for our political leaders who seem to be at this point supporting Israel. We pray that would continue. We pray for those who are in leadership in this city and in this state, in this country. We pray that you grant them conviction and salvation and discernment to make right decisions. We pray for our city here in Kalamazoo. We pray for the lost. Lord, we would ask that you would pour out your spirit on this area and bring many to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our desire, Lord, is to finish this race pleasing to thee. We pray that you would work in each of us to help accomplish that. And for that, we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the big problems that has existed among the people of God is criticism and judgment based on gray areas. It's the favorite sport of weak believers. They like to make their judgments, and quite honestly, sometimes their judgments are wrong. One of the great historians that I appreciate reading was Arnold Dalimore, but he was of a Baptist persuasion, and so when he was discussing the issues pertaining to Mr. Spurgeon, because we're going to use him as examples today, we've already used him. He said this in his book of Spurgeon, many of us today cannot but wish he had never undertaken the practice. Who is he to judge the guy? Here's a guy writing a book, and he's making a judgment in the book he's writing on this man, and I'm sure in eternity he's not going to be anywhere near coming to the shadow of the impact of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Now, when it comes to Grace Age Christianity, there are things that God classifies as evil and sinful, and those are the things which we want to avoid. We are to make no provisions for our flesh in regard to those areas. There are sinful things named in Scripture we do not want in our lives. They can cost us rewards. They can cost us a great inheritance. Such things as sexual immorality, idolatry, greed, envy, jealousy, occult, drunkenness. Those are sinful things. Those things are not gray. These things are evil and sinful, and they should not ever be in the life of any believer. I read of a pastor who had a person in his congregation who had a drinking problem. One Thursday, he ran into the man. He said, I was so happy to see that you finally dealt with it, that you were at prayer meeting last night. The parishioner said, oh, so that's where I was. Thanks for telling me. I didn't know. Now, in view of the Bevacy judgment, what God's people need to realize is we need to be working on ourselves. We need to be working on our own lives and make sure we're staying away from things that God says are evil and sinful. And there's plenty to work on with the list that God's given us in the scriptures concerning ourselves. When Spurgeon preached, he said, I preach about real sins. I preach against real sins. I don't preach against quibbles and scruples. But there are other things in the Bible that the Bible doesn't classify as sinful. For example, some people like to listen to country western music. Some people like to listen to pop music. Some people like to listen to classical music. Some people like to go to the opera. Some people like to go to see a play. Some people like to go to some professional sporting event. They like to go see a baseball game or a wrestling match or auto racing. 
Some people like to go to a concert. Some people like to go and do line dancing or square dancing or ballroom dancing. I mean, some women like to dye their hair, some don't. Some women like to put on makeup and put on lipstick, and some don't. Some people have a glass of wine, and some don't. In fact, I flew with a guy from Israel. This is interesting. I flew with a guy from Israel one time, and he was basically taking a strong position of, you shouldn't drink pop. Wine's okay, because it's good for you, but pop isn't. And so here's his view, you shouldn't drink pop. So when it comes to these kinds of issues, who's right, who's wrong? What Bible verse do you turn to to resolve this? The fact is, every believer has a right before God to decide his or her own position when it comes to gray areas. And you don't want to ever let anybody take away your liberty. Paul said that in Galatians 5.1. He said, you stand fast, you stand fixed in the liberty that you have in Christ. But we also want to understand with the liberty that we have in Christ that we're all going to face the Lord we're all going to give an account of ourselves before God, and so we want to keep learning and developing and working on our own lives. What we don't want to do is waste a whole lot of time judging each other, criticizing each other over gray areas. Now, you have a right to your own convictions. I'm going to use some illustrations today. The illustrations I'm going to use today are not designed to change your convictions. You have a right to your own convictions. I have a right to my convictions. What we don't have a right to do is make our convictions the authority for somebody else. Now, this is addressed to believers because you will notice what Paul says in the opening of verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. Alalas, alalelos is a word that means the another of the same kind. Paul says, get this in your mind. You don't want to use your convictions as a basis for judging people. I'm not your judge. You're not my judge. Jesus Christ is all of our judges. He's going to judge every one of us. So what he says here is believers should not judge each other over gray area issues, but implement sound biblical principles in their own lives and see that they do not offend others. We have liberty. We have freedom in Jesus Christ. We don't want to use our freedom in such a way that it would hurt somebody else. Now, before we get into this, I want to say this. Growing in the Lord, growing in grace and knowledge is a lifelong process. And it will not end until we're out of this world, we're with the Lord, and then I'm sure we're going to learn things forever, so growth is going to be a process. When I got saved, I was a rigid legalist because I was in a rigid legalistic church, and I formed the same legalistic convictions that that church had about many things. My parents were good people. I love my parents, my mom and dad. They raised us in a legalistic church. That's all we knew. That's all we knew. In fact, I rebelled against it. It's part of the reason I kind of went off the tracks. But when I came to faith in Jesus Christ, I was kind of back in that vein. I was a weak believer who thought he was strong. But as I crawled through the Bible and started coming to terms with the truth of the written scriptures, which weren't being communicated accurately in this church, my conclusions and convictions started to change. And a key turning point for me was when I was in school and we had to take the book of Galatians. It was a requirement. We had to go straight through the book of Galatians. We had to go verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph through that book. And that book started convicting me. Because what happened there is I started seeing myself for what I really was. 
I was a legalist steeped in Old Testament law. If you had Sabbath day codes, I was steeped in that junk. You know, I like something Spurgeon said. Spurgeon said, the only thing that I have in my world that is under the Sabbath day law is my horse. I rest him on Saturday. Because I'm going to use him a lot on Sunday. And he would travel with a one-horse cart. That's how he got to where he would go back and forth in London. But that book of Galatians brought me to a crossroads. Do I grow in grace or do I stay in this religious system? And I made a determination. You know what? From this day on, I'm sticking with truth. It was life-changing, life-transforming. And that's the way it's supposed to work. You're here today. You have certain convictions. You have a right to your convictions. We're not going to try to talk you out of your convictions here today. But what we all need is to understand over time, as you mature, you may see things a little differently than you used to years ago. Now, there are 10 gray areas grace area guiding principles that are set forth here. And the first one is, we must not do things that would cause another believer to stumble. Verse 13 says, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in the brother's way. Paul was a strong believer. You'll notice he includes himself with the pronoun us. So he sees himself as a strong believer. So what he's basically saying here is, we have a responsibility if we're in the strong believer category not to do something that could cause the weaker believer to stumble. We don't want to be doing something in a gray area context that could stifle the growth of a believer and cause that believer to stumble. Now the mature believer has to make a judgment as to whether or not he's in the presence of an immature believer or whether or not he's in the presence of some legalistic Pharisee. Sometimes that's not easy to do. But we have a responsibility to analyze who it is we're around. Are we talking here about an immature believer? If I utilize my liberty, it could hurt him, stifle his growth? Or am I talking about some legalistic Pharisee who's just some proud religious guy? For example, when Peter was eating with the Gentiles and he saw the Jews walk in, he stopped eating with the Gentiles and Paul wasn't going to let him off the hook. He walked right up to him and rebuked him to his face. When Jesus was in the field on the Sabbath day and he's out there and he's picking corn or grain and the Pharisees, they don't like it because of their Sabbath day rules. He just went out and did it right in front of them. When he healed on the Sabbath day, and they didn't like that either because that was another part of their Sabbath day rules and codes. He just did it in front of them because he didn't care. I read a story one time of D.L. Moody who went to see Charles Spurgeon one time when he was in London and he knocked at the door of where Spurgeon was and Spurgeon opened the door. He had a big cigar in his mouth. Answered the door for Moody with a cigar in his mouth. And Moody said, how can you, a man of God, smoke that? And Spurgeon said, the same way you, the man of God, could be fat. That's Spurgeon, boy. You got to like that guy. But let's say you think it's okay to have a glass of wine, which Paul does bring up in this context. We'll use some illustrations of that. You're with someone who's had a drinking problem. Well, if you opted to have a glass of wine in front of that person who had a drinking problem, it could potentially cause that young Christian to struggle with that. So we don't want to use our gray area liberty and our convictions to do something that could cause another brother or sister to stumble. We need to be careful as to what we're doing. That's guiding principle number one. 
Guiding principle number two, we must know that believers think differently about gray areas. Verse 14, I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. The book of Romans is very clear that spirituality is just a matter a lot about the way you think. It's what you develop sound minds, a transformed mind by renewing it on the scriptures. And the scriptures are not some fairy tale book that just takes you in a never-never land of feelings. The scriptures are very concrete and they challenge the way you think. And this is why believers are challenged in many passages, develop sound minds. We stress in this church, sound minds produce sound doctrine. Now Paul says gray areas isn't the problem. The gray area is not the issue. We're not talking sin issues here. He said the gray area is not the problem. It's what the individual thinks in his mind about the gray area. And some people think differently about the same gray area. I mean, some people look at a gray area, they have no problem with it, but another person looks at the gray area and has a problem with it. Take a guy like George Whitfield. He liked a glass of rum. Take a guy like Martin Luther. He liked beer and wine. His own wife, Katie, learned how to brew it the way that he liked it. In fact, Luther said in a message that he preached in 1539 when he was challenged about that, he said, God does permit drink, but we should be examples of temperance. That was his view. He knew that people thought differently about it. These are not men who are drunks. These are men who love the Lord, serve the Lord. They just thought differently about gray areas. Then you get to the 1920s, here comes Billy Sunday. He doesn't see it the way Whitfield saw it. He doesn't see it the way Luther saw it. He doesn't see it the way Calvin saw it. Then you get Jack Van Impey. He comes in there with his bizarre stuff in 1980, and he starts going on a rampage against this thing. I mean, I got a book where he doesn't even tell what the facts are, what the reality of it is in my library. And I'm thinking to myself, well, it's just obvious that believers just don't see things the same way. They don't see them eye to eye. The third guiding principle is we must know that weak believers can be destroyed in gray area issues. Verse 15, for if because of food your brother is hurt and you're no longer walking according to love, do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. That word destroy does mean it's possible to take a weak believer and kill their spiritual life. I mean, it actually is possible to bring them to the point where their spiritual life is just shut down. But man, you read in that verse, Jesus Christ died for that weak believer. So if Christ was willing to die for the weak believer, then I can temporarily give up something for just a short period of time for him. And there's no question that it's possible to wreck someone else's faith over gray areas. We could use a lot of illustrations. Warren Wiersbe said he saw a church split over the issue of where they should put the piano in the sanctuary. We know of a church that was split because of a Bible version. There have been battles that have been fought in churches. Ray Stedman said that there was a fight in a church that almost split a church. It just divided believers. They just destroyed each other over whether or not there should be a Christmas tree in the church at Christmas time. And on and on the fights go. And Paul says, look, you must know, you don't want to destroy each other with this stuff. That's not what you want to do as you wait to appear yourself before the Bema Seat judgment. So knock that stuff off. Don't waste your time judging each other over gray areas. You realize that there are some things that can destroy other people. 
Now, the fourth principle is we must know that our liberty may potentially be spoken of as being evil. Verse 16, therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing to be spoken of as evil. Mr. Miles gave me a wise piece of advice years ago. He said, be careful with whom you travel from your congregation. Because some of those people won't keep their mouths shut. I never forgot that. He said, you be careful who you travel with from your congregation. Because some of those people, they can go out and shoot their mouths off. And they can have a damaging effect upon you and your ministry. The truth is, very few people have the integrity to keep their mouths shut. And if you're a strong believer and you realize the freedom you have in Christ, when it comes to a gray area and you're with a weaker believer who doesn't see it that way, then that person can just go out and talk. Spread the news. Spread the gossip to other people. And that can do great harm. That person, as this text says, can take something that isn't even a bad issue and make it evil to people that he's talking to. Harold Kriegel told me a story that happened a lot of years ago when he was in Spain. A missionary in Spain was being supported by several fundamental churches and a particular denomination that was known to be legalistic was the denomination that gave the bulk of the support to this particular missionary. Well, this missionary had been praying about a family to come to Christ that they had been seeing in the grocery store for a long time. They were always kind to this couple and prayed that God would give them an opportunity to share Jesus Christ with them. And one day, the wife was in the grocery store, and the person for whom she had been praying invited her and her husband to come to their home for dinner. She said, they gave us the address. Harold said they drove down the driveway. As they drove into the driveway, they noticed that they had acres and acres of grapes. And when they sat down for dinner, the host said, I want to share the best wine that's ever come out of our vineyard with you. And he poured them a glass of wine. Now, they're at a meal to share Jesus Christ with this family. This guy has just said, I'm sharing the best who's ever come out of this meal. What would you do? Don't answer me. It's your decision. What would you do? If you don't drink that in the course of a meal, you're going to offend this guy because he's given you his best. He's making a sacrifice to give you his best. Well, weeks later, there was a meeting of the mission agency and the missionary, and the meeting went well. During the course of the meeting, the man sipped the glass of wine, and so did the wife. And weeks later, there was a meeting of the mission organization. The missionary was excited that God had opened this door And he was able to go in there and spend a lot of time sharing what Jesus Christ had done for this family. Well, a legalistic goof reported it back to the supporting churches. Shot off his mouth. Contacted people in the states. Well, the denomination said, we've got a drunk on the mission field. That's what Harold said they said. We've got a drunk on the mission field. So Harold said they actually sent a guy over to the mission field, he said it was a mess, a mess. Why did that happen? Because that missionary didn't keep his mouth shut. He should have just enjoyed his liberty in Christ and not said a word to anyone. He was obviously in a meeting with weaker people on the mission board, and he should have never told them. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. He didn't do anything wrong. In fact, it was of God what happened. But he 
had a good thing spoken of as evil because of this guy who couldn't keep his mouth shut. Now, the fifth principle is we must realize that God's kingdom is not about gray areas. It's about the Holy Spirit producing a righteousness that builds up the family of God. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Being right with God, you see it right here. The whole book of Romans has been developing this. Being right with God is about having the righteousness of God that's found in Jesus Christ. It's not about gray areas. The one who's in a right relationship with the Lord has the righteousness of God that's produced in him by the Spirit of God. You're put into Christ by the Spirit of God. Then that Spirit of God begins a development of biblical righteousness in which one grows and begins to make adjustments and learns and develops into a peaceful relationship with God. And some of the most rigid, arrogant people are those who have their rules and their codes, and they're more interested in that than in a relationship with Jesus Christ yielding to the Spirit of God. There are people who are more interested in developing their own system and following their convictions rather than developing a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And verse 18 is eye-opening. The one who's acceptable to God, the one who is pleasing to God, is not going to be some gray area fighter. It's the one who's developing in the spirit of God and the truth of God. That one will have the approval of God and make a positive impact on others. So Paul says you have to realize your relationship with the Lord is about righteousness. We're not talking about quibbling over gray areas here. The sixth guiding principle is we must realize that not all consciences are the same on gray issues. Verse 20, do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they're evil for the man who eats and gives offense. Now that conscience of yours and that conscience of mine is the conscience that analyzes our behavior in light of our beliefs. When you do something or say something, your conscience will either judge it as good and clean or bad and dirty. And the message here is very clear. There's nothing wrong with the gray area. It's how you view it. And not all consciences are the same. Eating meat that had been sacrificed to an idol was something that apparently really bothered certain believers. I mean, if they went and they realized I'm eating meat that's been sacrificed to an idol, those weak Christians really struggled with that. But others, they didn't care. It was a good buy on meat. So they took the meat home and they ate it and they said, it's meat. An idol's nothing. An idol's nothing because we have a relationship with the living God. If your conscience permits you to do something or enjoy something in a gray area, then do it. If your conscience doesn't permit you to do it, then don't do it. I mean, that's about as simple a ground rule as you can come up with. And over time, your conscience may change and develop and mature. Something that you thought years ago may begin to unfold for you, and you're going, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm growing in the things of the Lord now, and my conscience isn't the same anymore. That's okay. Every believer must live in the context of his own conscience. There are certain things that may be wrong for you, certain things that may be wrong for me. We both have rights in this area. Which brings us to the seventh principle. We must realize that abstinence from gray areas may be necessary in front of a weaker brother. Verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine 
or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. We have weaker people who can stumble sometimes if we utilize our gray area liberty. And so strong believers need to refrain if they're in the presence of a weaker brother. If they can determine, I'm in the presence of a weaker brother, that I could really hurt this brother and cause this brother to stumble by involving myself in this particular gray area that I should relinquish it for the time I'm with him. And the two areas that he brings up, or the two areas that he mentions there in verse 21, are eating meat and drinking wine. So if we're around a weaker believer and we don't see anything wrong with it, we have to refrain ourselves so we don't hurt the weaker believer. Now again, we're talking here about a weaker believer, not a pharisaical legalist. Confession's good for the soul, so I'll confess to you. There have been three times that I can remember where I intentionally, intentionally, did something in front of a Pharisee, and I did it on purpose. Just like when the Lord went out and ate the corn in front of him on the Sabbath day on purpose. There have been three times that I can remember I did I did it once in Chicago to a guy. I did it once in Turkey when we were over there in Turkey, and then I did it once in Damat. That's the story I'm going to tell you. When we were in Damat, there was a legalistic family in our church who promoted the idea that it was not spiritual to eat pork. These people were whacked on a lot of things. But that was one of them. I mean, you can't eat pork. They were the judge and the jury by their own rigid code that they'd invented. Well, we ran a series of fellowship dinners in our homes like we did years ago in this church, and the host would serve the meat and drinks, and the others would bring a dish to pass, and this particular family got in our group. So during the week, Mary said to me, what shall I make for meat? I said, you're going to make ham. (laughs) We're going to make ham. And so she said, okay. So the night of our dinner, I did this intentionally, maybe by old nature, but I thought, I've played games with these people too long. So the night of our dinner, they came to our home, and Mary had made the ham. We had it on the table covered, intentionally covered. They couldn't see it. So we prayed for the food. And then with a little smirk on my face, I took the cover off the meat. And I picked it up, and I started passing it right to them. I did that intentionally, I'll tell you that, because I thought, you know what? We've put up with your pharisaical legalism long enough. No more. They were squirming. You could see it. They're looking at a ham, and they've been proclamating their goofy thinking that isn't even biblical, and my thinking is, it's time for you to grow up. You've been around the church long enough. You can eat what you want to eat. Eat the ham, don't eat the ham, I don't care, but that's what we're serving. Now, had this been a weak believer who perhaps was of a Jewish background who had just come to faith in Jesus Christ, we would not have served that. But they weren't, and we did. We have to sometimes be willing to say, I will abstain from this because I don't want to hurt this brother or sister, but I didn't think that was one of those times. H.A. Ironside told the story of a time he went to a church picnic that they had one Sunday afternoon, and there was a guy who had been saved out of the Muslim religion, 
and he actually was at this picnic. He was excited about his things in the Lord and how he was growing in the Lord. And so they served ham at that particular lunch. And when they went to give it to him, he said he refused to have it. Not because he didn't enjoy it. He said, here's what's going to happen. He said, I'm going to go visit my dad and I'm trying to lead him to the Lord. And the first thing he's going to ask me when I get back with my dad is, well, did you eat any ham? And he said, so I'm going to refrain from eating ham. I know I have liberty, but I want to be able to look him in the eye and say, no, I did not, because I want to reach him for Christ. Now, that is an abstinence that really does have the right thinking in view. It's not based on some rigid legalism. It's based on his desire to reach his father. The eighth guiding principle is we must realize that our own convictions on gray areas is a private conviction. Verse 22, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Have your own conviction before God. The problem is, I'm telling you, people, if they find out about something, they just shoot their mouths off and other people learn about it. I think that's what happened probably with Spurgeon and his cigars. But on the other hand, Spurgeon didn't think smoking cigars was wrong. I'm not even sure he saw it as gray. And by the way, I want to tell this story to this. I've heard, in fact, I may have said it years ago, that Spurgeon was in London one time. He saw a billboard, and as near as I can determine, he smoked Cuban cigars, if those of you keeping records of such things. He saw a billboard, and the billboard said, these are the cigars Spurgeon smokes. And then I heard another person say, no, it wasn't a billboard that he saw. Actually, it was a poster that he saw in a shop that was Spurgeon. So I thought, is any of that true? I mean, Spurgeon didn't seem to have any scruples about smoking a cigar, so is that true? I wonder if I can track that down. Turns out, it's made up by the Baptists, wouldn't you know? <laughs> and the proof that that's not true is his great-great-grandson, David Spurgeon, who lives in Dublin, Ireland who has posted online at Mr. Spurgeon's death when he went home to be with the Lord the two cigars and the half cigar that he still had in the case that he apparently enjoyed before he went home to be with the Lord. Now, it's just a shame that people couldn't have seen what Spurgeon did in life and kept their mouth shut, but they couldn't keep their mouth shut. But Paul is pretty clear on this. If you have a conviction on gray areas, keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. Keep it between you and the Lord. Enjoy your freedom, but keep it to yourself. Because I'm telling you, some people, they just go out and talk. Which brings us to the ninth principle. We must realize that we have a right to be happy in our gray area choices. Verse 22 says, Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. You're not going to make a legalist out of me ever again. And hopefully, this church will never make a legalist out of anybody ever again. We have a right in Christ to be happy. We have a right to enjoy life, not sin. We have no right in that regard. Sin needs to be gone because it can cost us rewards if it isn't gone. But we have a right and a liberty to enjoy life. God gives us good things to enjoy. And I heard Dr. S. Lewis Johnson say his definition of a legalist was he lives in constant fear that some believer somewhere is enjoying life. 
I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Augustine said, love God, do what you like, as long as it's not sinful, as long as it's not hurtful, as long as you're not hurting another brother. I mean, the fact is, Spurgeon had a lot of issues, but he did them all to the glory of God. He said, you show me where I'm sinning, and I'll stop right now. I'll confess it right now and quit right now. You show me that from the Word of God, and get in the habit of doing that. When people fire these things at you, show me that from the Scriptures. Spurgeon said, you show me where I have sinned in my life, and I'll cut it off right now. Well, they couldn't show him that, but that's what they said. But Paul says, you have a right to be happy in life. You have freedom in Christ. Just keep the freedom to yourself. And finally, we must know that a violation of conscience in a gray area is sin. That's what he says in verse 23. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. If your conscience bothers you, don't do it. Your conscience will not permit you at this point to do something that you think maybe you're teetering on, then don't do it. Over time, your conscience may change. Hopefully it will. As you're purifying your conscience on the scriptures and growing in the Lord, you're learning more about doctrine and theology, these books of the Bible, something that you may have been brainwashed to think was sinful, you'll come to understand that isn't sinful. And you may come to the conviction, I do have the liberty to enjoy something. But if you never come to that conviction, that's fine. Just don't do it. But don't try to use your convictions as a gauge to judge all other believers. Because we have wonderful freedom in Jesus Christ. And we should not ever use our freedom for a way that would hurt other people. What Paul was after here was a group of believers who were serious about the Lord and serious about each other. He didn't want them wasting their time judging each other on gray areas. There's no question he promoted Christian liberty, but he also promoted wise use of that liberty. Now, if you happen to be listening to this today or you're here today without Christ, I can tell you this. You'll have the best life you ever can have if you give your life to Jesus Christ. You'll be free. Free from sin, free from guilt. You'll be free. And if you're a believer here today, make sure your goal is to please God. Because we're all heading to the Bema Seat Judgment. Let's pray. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, why not settle it right now by praying something like this, God, I'm a sinner and right now I invite Jesus Christ into my life to be my Savior. If you're a believer here today, let me just challenge you with this. Would you be willing to ask the Lord, is there something in my life hindering me being pleasing to you? And if there is, convict me of it. Our Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. We thank you for your amazing grace. Lord, we need wisdom to walk through this world. It's a minefield filled with all kinds of traps and things that can do great harm. We pray that you would just continue to cause us to grow, to become strong. We pray that you would transform our minds. We pray that the end result will be we will please you. 
For anything that you've done as we've gone through this text today, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.